Good evening. We are continuing our study of the book of Romans by entering Romans chapter 6, although I think we will discuss for a little bit at the beginning uh, Romans, the very end of Romans 5, and if you've been listening along, you'll know why, because, well, there were some loose ends there at the beginning, and we were pushing past our time. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump in, uh, but we'll start with prayer first. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, illumine our hearts, O Master, who love us, mankind, with the pure light of thy divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our mind to the understanding of thy gospel teachings. Implant also in us the fear of thy blessed commandments, that trampling down all carnal desires we may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things as are well-pleasing unto you. For thou, you are the illumination of our souls and bodies of Christ our God, and unto you do we ascribe glory together with your fathers from everlasting in your all-holy good and life-creating spirit, now and ever unto ages of ages. Amen. Amen. Read. Amen. Take it away. Okay, let me bring up the right page. Here we go. Um, well, okay, that's not the right page because we're, we were going to talk about five for a minute, right? Okay, so Romans five. That long parenthetical at the end of... Yeah, sort of, I mean, it's sort of the second half of the chapter. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, again, I, I sort of tried to summarize it uh, very briefly, the, the way John Chrysostom seemed to understand it, that essentially um, that the Apostle Paul is addressing objections, primarily Jewish objections, to those who might say, well, how is it that by what this one man, Jesus Christ, did, that everyone can be freed from sin and from death and that uh, he says well the, the the apostle paul then establishes that it was not because of the law that people died when they sinned that death went all the way back to adam so it was with adam that uh, the problem with death began and was passed on to all the rest of us and if one man's sin could have such far-reaching consequences that all who came after died and becoming mortal, they, um, I mean, all, be, all became mortal and then becoming mortal, they also all uh, fell into sin, then it's just as a matter of parallelism, it seems plausible that when the one man, Jesus Christ, comes and does what is righteous, that this might free people from sin and uh, grant life to all men. And so just by parallelism, it's plausible. But in fact, when you consider the greatness of whom we're speaking of, the very Son of God come in the flesh, when we're talking about life, which is much greater than death, when we're talking about righteousness, which is much greater than sin, then to the extent that these are not parallel situations, all of the victory, all of the preponderance of evidence and success lies on the side of God and of life and of righteousness and salvation. And so that's sort of the, the thumbnail sketch of the second half of chapter five. So if anyone has questions or comments, this would be a great time to bring them up. Otherwise, we can jump into six. 
Does he make a specific first. comment about verse 20 and 21? Because <clears throat> um, I've always found those puzzling. And I'm sorry, I'm, I, I, I hate, to, I don't want to slow you down, but I just want to know if he says anything about it. Just a second. He just left. <laughs> <laughs> that one's beyond me. Yep. Now, let's see here. It's beyond me. Before I read Did you pull down Chrysostom, Reed? I'm just pulling my, out my notes. Um, well, he says that this word that, where he says the law was added, or here it says the law entered that the offense might abound. He says... This is not, not to say that the purpose of the law was to make the offense be greater. The purpose of the law was to diminish and destroy sin, but that the effect of it was that the offense was greater because people were uh, made aware of what was right, but they were listless, to use one of Chrysostom's favorite words. And so they did not benefit from receiving the law. Um and also, he takes the word entered there. Moreover, the law entered, um, indicating the temporary nature of the law, that the law is more of a pedagogue, something for childhood, not uh, lasting. And again, the words much more, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, which uh, emphasizes how greatly God's gifts and grace exceed the effects of sin. And Chrysostom, I had a short quote from him, says, for it was, it was not remission from punishment only that he gave us, but that from sins and life also. So remission from sins and he gave us life. As if any were not merely to free a man with a fever from his disease, but to give him also beauty and strength and rank. Or again, were to give a hungry man not nourishment only, but were also to put him in possession of great riches and were to set him in the highest authority. So that's what he's saying in verse 20. If that helps at all. Yes. Believe it or not, yeah. Good. Other questions or comments? Okay. Well, then let's, um, that actually is a, is a good lead into chapter six, where he talks about um, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And so then going on to chapter six, <clears throat> I think, um, let me give you a, a bit of a summary of how Chrysostom seems to understand this chapter, and that may be helpful then as we read it together. It begins with verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Um, and Chrysostom understands this whole chapter to be addressing that objection. That there are those that the apostle was saying, look, there are some people who might hear what I've just said about the greatness of grace. Uh, 
and its overcoming of sin and take it that, oh, in fact, how we live makes no difference. In fact, our sin brought forth greater grace and glorified God. Why not go on sinning? Seems reasonable. <laughs> right. All in favor, say aye. <laughs> yes. And um, maybe more specifically, at the very end, which is like two and a half homilies later, uh, John Chrysostom says that what's really going on here is that Paul has been talking about the greatness of faith and of grace and how it overcomes sin and how it's greater than the law. And he is about to launch on a, a discourse that's going to, um, to try, that's going to overthrow the law, if you will. And he's very concerned that some of his audience may in some fashion take that to mean, oh, how we order our lives doesn't really much, much matter anymore. And so contrary to his usual practice, and I guess the usual form of letters, in which he would put all the doctrine at the beginning, and then he would switch over and do exhortation, uh, the Apostle Paul suddenly puts in a chapter here of exhortation. So the real point of chapter 6 is to encourage the believers and spur them on to living lives worthy of the gospel. But that in particular, he is doing it in the context of a discussion about doctrine, so that instead of seeming to be accusing the people he's writing toward, or I mean writing to, he is um, simply elaborating on what comes out of the doctrines so as to give his message a, uh, a readier reception with his listeners. So that would be the my- way that preachers, The way preachers usually do things. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I like how uh, St. John Chrysostom put it, uh, lest he should seem to many to be irksome and vexing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and let me mention, because it's on that same page, for those of you who are reading Chrysostom's comments in uh, his homilies from the Schaff edition, under the comments on verse 2, the... Um, the second sentence says, does it mean that as for that, and as far as it goes, we have all received the sentence of death or that we become, that we became dead to it by believing any being enlightened? And I puzzled and puzzled and puzzled over what that meant. And finally realized there's a typo there, that the word any should be the word and, or that we became dead to it by believing and being enlightened. So just I think it's any being that's enlightened. Do you? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like, oh no, did Suddenly I get that? <laughs> Suddenly Chrysostom encourages polytheism. <laughs> <laughs> so for, for anyone who's trying to read those, changing that word to and makes a lot more sense of that that uh, paragraph. Okay, By the so way, I don't know if everybody saw in the chat, I did drop a link to the homily that this is at, and you can you can see the typo there. If you go to that link, it's there. If you don't have it, the, the physical text, which I'm sure most of you don't have. 
<laughs> but once I heard that Erica has been reading there, and I knew Father Daniel that you had been, I thought maybe I should just mention this because I really struggled with that. <laughs> okay, so with that as background, could uh, I ask for a volunteer just to go ahead and read this whole chapter? I can. Thank you. <clears throat> what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified in, with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it, it, obey it in its loss. And do not present your, your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of the righteousness of God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of, of uncleanness and lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were freed in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed for the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you. Okay. So, Maybe, first of all, I will just throw the floor open for um, comments, questions, discussion. Does anyone 
is there some part of this that someone would love to get into? Well, that's hard. There's just so much here. I'll at least uh, point out this is where the baptismal service epistle reading comes from. It's also, as Mark from, I think, the Orthodox Study Bible that he's reading out of while we're doing this, is also the epistle assigned to Holy Saturday. Hmm. Um, so it is interesting liturgically for us, um, especially the point that you made that it's like a, a parenthetic ex uh, exhortation for Paul here um, that then becomes a kind of pivotal point for so much of what we understand about baptism and ritual um, incorporation into him, but also then what the basic kind of Christian life is. This is like a little short summa of what it is to be a Christian. You die with him and you rise with him. But it really, it, it kind of, it kind of, fleshes out now it fleshes out faith with a little bit more specific content because i don't know maybe that's also because i'm so used to people's talking about faith in a very open bland way do you know what i mean like just have faith or and this is this faith that paul is talking about is absolutely bound up in jesus christ and it means following the in the cross of Christ. It's not an empty God or, you know. Now it's everybody else's turn. As a matter of fact, we think many have been baptized on that Holy Saturday. Pastor. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. As I was looking up. Well, I also think of Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. You gotta serve somebody. <laughs> yeah, there's certainly some of that in here. Well, let me. I, I can comment a little, and you know, just jump in if you have thoughts, um, or is that something you really want to discuss. You know, verse two, he says, "How can we who died to sin live any longer?" And Chrysostom says, "Well, what, what does this mean by dead to sin?" And he says, "It means not obeying sin." just like a dead man doesn't obey anyone who gives him orders. Um, so we should be as unresponsive to the commands of sin as a dead man is. And um, he says, baptism accomplished this once for us, but from now on we must maintain it by, by our own earnestness. And he, he talks about this at some length. It's sort of, you know, baptism puts to death these things in us you know, through the time of baptism, and thereafter we need to maintain it. Um, Chrysostom sees a lot in the word likeness there in verse 5. We've been united together in the likeness of his death. Um, and, and let me mention in passing you notice that the New King James here completes the parallel construction. Certainly we also shall be 
in the likeness of his resurrection. But a number of those words are in italics. And so the way Chrysostom reads it is much more, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be of the resurrection, which he sees not as a parallel construction, but it's a likeness of his death, but we shall be of the resurrection to emphasize that even though we did not die in the flesh when we were baptized like Christ did, so our death was in the likeness of his, but was not identical, that our resurrection will truly be as his resurrection, that we will be resurrected uh, oh, in the flesh to new life. But, um, you know, looking at this likeness, he says, what cross, the cross and death and burial are to Christ, that is to his flesh, baptism is to sin in us. Mm-hmm. So this is how we are. And this is united together, but Chrysostom reads it planted together in the likeness of his death. <laughs> so his resurrection to life means for us, his resurrection to, you know, to bodily life means for us a resurrection to righteousness or living righteously. So essentially he sees a parallel between two deaths and resurrections. The way he phrased it was, we were buried in water, he in earth. We in regard to sin, he in regard to his body. And then to summarize, he says, he dies in the flesh, is planted in the earth, and bears the fruit of salvation for the world. And there the word planted is important, like a seed that's planted. Our old man, the man of sins and of wickedness, dies in baptism in the likeness of his death, is planted in the water and bears the fruit of righteousness, sanctification, adoption, and countless blessings. Yeah, David, you were saying something. No, I was not. I coughed. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Is when we read this in Baptist, it say putting off the old man more than how it's listed that our old man was crucified with him. I have some recollection recollection of putting off. Yeah, I don't know if that's King James. So this, sorry, I'm, I had a question on. So I remember. So yeah. Paul so far has not discussed baptism whatsoever. Correct? And Until Romans. here. Until here. I think I that's think maybe I think right. That's yeah, true. I hadn't thought of that. So, well, it's interesting because... He's kind of like how Basil later will argue about, we believe Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, part of the reason why you believe that is because when we baptized you, we did it in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's what we do. We baptize. And the logic of Paul here is, uh, what, how are we, are we supposed to be obeying sin or that grace may abound? No. And how do you know that? Because you were baptized. He, he, he's referring back to this thing that you did that initiated you into the body of Christ. Hmm. This is how you're supposed to know what it is for you to follow Jesus Christ. Um, 
I, I find that it would be interesting to read Chrysostom here and then in, have you ever read his baptismal instructions? Don't remember. I have, well, it's like this bit thick in English translation. Oh. You can borrow it from me sometime if you want, but it's his, basically his, his catechetical uh, works where he is um, teaching newly illumined and catechumens the, or the, the faith. And a lot of it is, it's all about what they're doing. What are, what are you doing in your life? What is it? You know, you should, it's like, you were just baptized and chrismated and you went off to the races and you got to watch all the chariots instead of coming to church the next week. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it sounds like they have the same problems we do, but. Um, <laughs> I was tired this past Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's this, this, this turn towards, you know, what are the things that we did to you that you imitated? And this is now what you should be remembering and drawing upon your experience of initiation into the body as how you ought to live now. That's cool. I mean, that would make a lot of sense then that, you know, this is how they thought of it. I also think it'll work for him because he also uses the identity in Jesus Christ in Galatians around, you know, there's not Jew or Gentile, all of that. So how are we united? There's one baptism. So if we're all united in Jesus Christ through one baptism, Jew or Gentile has got to be baptized in order to be, you know, brought into the body. So there's an e equalizing reality and everyone having to be baptized, your identity being found there. Mm-hmm. So just to make sure I'm on the same page as everyone, the what we're kind of seeing there is the explication of everything that's contained within that, that act of baptism. Basically saying, St. John Chrysostom is saying we can, we can basically unpack that and that, that action and that symbol, and that kind of becomes the guide for our, how we're to walk in the rest of our lives. Yes, I like that. I think the word also that's important here is to guide, because we're going to fall here and there. I'm got to get back up on that horse. So the remembrance of even if you were a child, you don't. But if you witness it as you go along uh, with others who are baptized or other children, then as you get older. So it's important to also know, you know, it's, it's not I'm saved. You know, there's that. Because I don't know if it's in Romans, is where Paul says you're being saved, not you're saved. So it's a it's a race to be, to, to go out there and, and win the race. It's a constant death. Yeah. Dying, dying, dying. Like cats. Dying. <laughs> I, I didn't mean to silence the crowd there, but. Yeah. Uh, no, but yeah, that, that's, that seems to be very much where he's going with this. Um, you know, verse six, he talks about our old man and the body of sin. And here Chrysostom talks about that by body of sin, uh, he, he calls by the old man, he means the sum of all wickedness. And by the body of sin, he means the wickedness that comes from the various parts of iniquity. So it's kind of like, wickedness considered as a whole and kind of of all the things that make it up um 
And so he says, Paul emphasizes that in saying the body of sin should be destroyed so as not to serve sin. He's not talking about a death that makes us quit living, but a death that makes us quit sinning. So in particular. So the study Bible says that uh, mm -hmm. they must have taken it from John Chrysostom. <laughs> Probably yeah. so. Is but that, in particular, when he's talking about the old man and the body of sin, he's not talking about our physical bodies. He's not talking about our nature. Nothing like that. Chrysostom takes all of these as being just figures of speech referring to wickedness, whether considered as a whole or its constituent parts. You mean it's not our sin nature? That's right. <laughs> it is Some, somebody's got to have an evangelical background to understand that one. I saw a really hilarious comment about that on Father Stephen's blog this past week where someone was uh, asking Father Stephen about, well, what about where Paul talks about sin nature? And uh, Father Stephen replied, help me out. Where, where are you finding that? And so the person came back a little while later and says, well, I, I've actually discovered that Paul only ever said that in the NIV. Yep. How about that? <laughs> he translates, they translate Zark's flesh as like sinful nature. Yes. Which is, which is a lot of eisegesis, not, not very good <laughs> translation. Hmm. So what's with this? I feel like Chrysostom would have a fun time with this um, slavery, free, dominion language that we have through five through, oh, oh and down there too. Oh, sorry. I was, I was just thinking five through uh, ten, where you've got... Oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. But you're right. I mean, it continues down there. Um, well, that's the language of reigning, that you become an instrument of something else, the 14 dominion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, I mean... He emphasizes here this whole notion of death, like verse 7, he who has died has been freed from sin. And you know, again, the point, a man who is dead doesn't sin or do anything else. And so a man who has died to sin in baptism ought to remain dead and be as incapable of sinning as a dead body is. Um, and sin no more. That's right. <laughs> He's dead. <laughs> Every time you say that, I get lost. What do you mean, David? Well, I mean, yeah, but but that's not true. But I mean, but I, but I mean, uh, but we do sin. Right. So obviously, we're not like a dead body, right? But sin has died. Yeah. Well, I mean... What does Chris? What does Christism say then? Twelve through fourteen. There's a, there's a dynamism there of not letting sin reign, but presenting our members. Yeah, he's telling, he's telling us that we should be like a dead body. Right. He's not saying baptism makes us a dead body. Yeah, so let me... Um, <clears throat> the Chrysostom had a great deal to say about verse 12. 
says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. So what he says is Christ did not destroy our nature, but set us free to realize it. So, you know, the, the apostle doesn't say, now, you know, don't let your body do things or don't do what's according to nature. He says, don't don't let sin reign. Right. Um, thus, the apostle forbids not the actions of the body, but those of sin. He says, we are being conducted to the kingdom of heaven, it would, and it would be absurd to let sin be our ruler. And he has this sort of striking illustration. It would be like the emperor casting off his diadem, diadem to go be the slave of a, I think he called it a frantic beggar woman in, in rags. Um, you know, it's like we've already been given the diadem. We should live like rulers. He says, sin no longer has the power to tyrannize us. The only way it can reign in us is by our listlessness. Um, and there where he talks about the mortal body, he sees, first of all, an encouragement that since our bodies are mortal, the struggle that we're going to be involved in is going to be only temporary. But also it draws a contrast that Adam, though given an immortal body, fell, but we, even with a mortal body, can receive the crown. And so finally there at the end, he talks about, you know, do not do this lest uh, that you should obey its lust. And he says, so how does sin reign in us? It says it does so when we obey bodily lusts, enslaving ourselves to them rather than ruling over them, putting the body under restraints and thereby gaining freedom. So essentially, it's an idea that I think you see elsewhere in the fathers that the body is not bad. But the body's not supposed to be in charge. It is the mind that should be in charge and put the body under constraint. And there, thereby, it's not, that's not a form of slavery. That's a form of freedom. So those were a lot of thoughts on that. So I kind of tried to summarize what Chrysostom had said there. Um, I might mention in verse 13, this word instruments, do not pre present yourself, your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. Now, evidently, according to the footnote in Schaff and also the way John Chrysostom reads it, that word instruments is more specifically in many contexts and presumably here, the word arms like weapons. And so when he says, um, present your members as instruments of righteousness to God, he says that this tells us we're going to be involved in a hard warfare calling for, and this is a quote, strong armor, a noble spirit, one acquainted with the ways of warfare, and above all, a commander. And then he goes on and says, we have a commander who's standing by, ready to help, unconquerable, having provided us with strong arms. And he also says, we need, we have need of a purpose of mind to handle them as we should be, so that we may both obey our commander and take the field for our country. So, you know, David, I, of course, I understand perfectly well what you're talking about. It's like, well, um, I, I don't really seem to be living like that. 
and uh, you know, er, er, the, you know, the the daily prayers have all of these confessions of our continued failings and asking forgiveness for them, which seems to indicate some expectation that we're not suddenly going to rise up and quit sinning one day. Um, in this life, so I sort of wonder: Is John Chrysostom's point here simply to encourage us not to give up, not to conclude, ah? Let us sin more that grace may increase the more. Let's go ahead and keep fighting the battle. But I would be glad for a better take on that. Rita, if you, did you get into verse 14 at all? I, I didn't, but I would love to. Because it keeps going in this direction. And um, Chris, with, with Chrysostom. He had, yeah, he, and he has a really fascinating comment there. And what he says is that Paul is planting the seed in verse 14 for a powerful argument that he wants to develop later. So he just kind of plants the seed here and goes on. But what he says the argument is, is that before Christ came, our bodies were an easy prey for sin because death had brought on a swarm of passions and the spirit had not been given and there was no baptism to put to you know put earlier sins to death the law came but all it could do was tell us what should be done and what shouldn't be done and it didn't give us any power to do it it just kind of reminded us so we could see we were getting it wrong but when christ came you know he gives us his assistance he gave us the holy spirit he gave us baptism and with all of this assistance virtue became easier and in consequence, the goal that is set for us in terms of how we live our lives is set to be much greater than it was under the law. And he quotes uh, from the Sermon on the Mount, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So, uh, you know, Chrysostom sees the Apostle Paul as essentially leading into the standard set for us is vastly higher than what was set for the believers under the Old Covenant. Or the Jews under the Old Covenant, I guess, would be a better way to say it. So I don't know if maybe that also gets at what David's asking about, and maybe that's what you're pointing at, Father Daniel, is that, well... When we think of our failings, we're also comparing ourselves to a different standard from what the, uh, the, the Jews of the Old Testament were aiming for. And also the, the idea of all of this as basically playing into the rhetorical flares of saying, be like a dead man. They're rhetorical in order to encourage, there's these strong images you know, all that martial language that he just used, which is very Pauline as well. Part of the reason why, and I think this is kind of going back and circling back to read to the first or the intro class, uh, or why Chrysostom can read Paul so well is because Chrysostom as being trained in rhetoric um, thought, can follow Paul's way of speaking and arguing in a way that we just don't think like this anymore. We are, we're very deadpan and flat on our feet compared to the, uh, the ways in which 
the twisting and turning and uh, building up of argumentation and all that they would have been used to at that time, but we just although Peter commented back in that time. That <laughs> That's true. So some did, some did. Maybe I don't. Yeah, needed a Romans for dummies. <laughs> well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but these would have been, I guess, designed and to have been read aloud in the in yep. the church at which they were sent. Yep. Um, because that's how that's how you read things and read them out loud. Well, Can you and, imagine? <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I, I had the idea that um, maybe what had gone at least on in some of these cases was that essentially there were secretaries who would write down what he preached. Um, yeah, Mark is just preached. swiftly writing scribe. Mark is just asking that, that that he would have had scribes. He would have just been talking. Mm -hmm. They would have been taking down what he was saying. So I think that sometimes we think of writing a letter. I mean, the last few times I even tried to write a letter, I had to like erase it a few times because I'm like, how am I going to craft this? Yes. But <laughs> he, he's just talking. Mm -hmm. So... Well, it's just—it's just—it's just, it's just dictation, right? Yes, says the lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> well, dictation. I mean, yeah. Well, but it's not. Well, that's not just lawyers. I'm, I, I mean, I'm, I know. I, I, know. I, I, I mean, I, I used mean, to have to type out from a dictaphone thing, David. <laughs> I'm just—I'm I'm, I'm just—I'm just saying the dictation. Never mind. It's okay. Say it, David. No, that's not unique to lawyers. I, I mean that's 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 how that's 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 how commercial industry worked for for yep. for, for 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 hundreds of years. Uh, uh, you know, you know, businessmen constantly dictated to to to, to 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 secretaries. So there's nothing. It's not that exceptional. Uh, it is today. <laughs> but you don't know. I mean, I, I think. But thinking about that, may I suggest that what you are assuming is that Paul never said to his scribe, read that back. <laughs> I'm lost. Where where would I? <laughs> and then and then changed it. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did too. Well, I don't know. That's not in scripture, so I, I don't think we can. <laughs> I know that's <laughs> these are questions and answers that were after. Uh, no, I I just I just talking generally when we talk about Paul working with the scribe, everybody acts like Paul just sat there and talked to the scribe, wrote it down, and went out. And I'm going, I don't know. There may be, I I suspect there were there was more than one draft. I I, I you know I think I think Paul worked his text. You know, when I look at this, what I see. And maybe I'm just missing the whole boat. But when I look at this, what I see is, is that our baptism is like Christ's death in that when we are baptized, our sinful selves die and we are then dead to sin. And what Paul is doing here is he's exhorting his followers, okay, now that you are now that, now that you're dead to sin, don't let it take over again. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body again. Mm -hmm. uh, because actually, verse 14, for sin shall have no dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. That used to be a problem for you when you were under the law that you could not control sin. 
but now you're under gracing, you can. Am I missing something? Is there more here than that? I think that's certainly a lot of what's here. You know, and I think this is what John Chrysostom is saying is that what he's primarily doing is telling them, don't be listless, don't live in a way unworthy of your baptism. Right. Because by virtue of your baptism, you're dead to sin. That I'm, I'm, I'm working with that dead thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Well, I, and a lot. So I also think it works to further his argument about what faith that he's been doing the whole for the first few chapters, right? Mm -hmm. to, he's he's like you just read there, David, in verse fourteen. For you are not under law, but under grace. It's really underlining how faith, as we see em, emblemized in baptism how it works to actually live uh, in the freedom of Christ and, the, and what he's done for us in a way that the law could not do for us because right. the law could not forgive our sins. It could not raise us from the dead, etc. But in the context, I feel like Paul's also the exhortation comes in where Paul's saying, okay, now that you've been baptized, that doesn't mean you don't have to do anything. Right. Okay. You have to not let sin reign in your mortal body. Right. Is, is one of the things that he's talking about here, though, the uh, may, maybe maybe this is off, but uh, the notion of capacity, um, you know, thinking about it from the perspective of, OK, so you've been crucified with Christ. So Christ is is your type at this point. Christ was lived without sin. Um and sin had no dominion over him. So this notion of, well, okay, yeah, we do, since our baptism, we, we all have sinned, and we will, and but the capacity to be without sin, insofar as the grace is there, is technically, is technically there. Is that, is there something like that going on here? The notion that prior to that, there was this dominion of sin, or am I, or am I, am I going into that uh, sinfulness of the body or the sinful self <laughs> translation from the NIV again? Well, I mean, certainly Chrysostom takes it that, you know, now with baptism, the coming of the Spirit, with the coming of Christ, we have tremendous resources that were unavailable before. And so, um, you know, there really is a call to. A, a much more righteous life, a much richer righteousness than existed before. Could you scroll up a little bit so we could see the end? Because it cuts oh, uh, off. Yeah, the other, thank you. Or down, whatever. <laughs> right. And, uh, just, so, just so you all know, there is someone, I, I don't think that she realized the time frame difference, but there is a visiting uh, Orthodox lady from Mississippi who wants to join with us. But 
I say time difference because I think there's central standard. So that's right. She's yeah. on central. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's too Go bad. Ahead. Reed, were you going to say something? I, I wasn't sure if I should go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. Susan, Susan, can you hear us? I think she said in the email that she wouldn't, I don't know if she was going to comment or not, but Susan, just so you know, we are at Eastern Standard Time, so we're coming to the close of the study right now. I'll, I'll shoot you an email after this. Go ahead, Reed. Okay, well, but welcome. It's very good to have you with us. We are, um, We've sort of been working our way through chapter six here, and um, we sort of rambled around a bit, but sort of generally drifted from the beginning to the end. Um, I wanted to mention here in verse 18, which is, um, and having been set from set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. In Chrysostom there, and uh, this is quoting him again, says, there are two gifts of God, which he here points out. The freeing from sin and also the making them servants to righteousness, which is better than any freedom. For God has done the same as if a person took an orphan who had been carried away by savages into their own country and not only freed him from captivity, but set a kind father over him and brought him to very great dignity. And this has been done in our case, for it was not our old evils alone that he freed us from, since he even led us to the life of angels and paved the way for us to the best way of life handing us over to the safekeeping of righteousness and killing our formal, former evils and deadening the old man and leading us to an immortal life. So I think that analogy, that picture sort of understands, you know, co comprehends a lot of the, how Chrysostom understands the grace that has been given us in Christ and in coming to him. Um, maybe just the last little bit here, starting at verse 20, um, no, 19, I speak in human terms. And it's interesting, he says, well, there's sort of two ways of understanding that, that in human terms could mean, um, I'm kind of going to reason this through the way just sort of the man on the street reasons this, or it could also mean, I'm going to uh, call on you to, to demand of you only so much as you might expect of a man, right? We're, nothing angelic here, just what a man could do, sort of like uh, that verse that talks about no temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. So he says, you, you could take this either way when he talks about speaking in human terms. Um, but uh, so, you know, sort of moderate demands well within the reach of man. And so he he takes it that in these next few verses, the Apostle Paul sort of asking for a quid pro, quo, quid pro quo, saying, well, look, before you had, uh, you know, had come to Christ, you were slaves of sin and you were free from the control of righteousness. You were, in fact, wholly given to wickedness. That's what you devoted yourself to. Well, now that you've come to Christ, all I'm asking is that you show him the same devotion. 
And he says, now, obviously, there's nothing like equality between these two masters and the outcomes of serving them and what they give us. You know, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal. You know, these, these are not comparable. Okay. But he says, even if it's just in terms of what well, just let, let's make it even. You used to live this way with your one master. Now be as devoted to your new master as you were to your old. That'd be good enough. Mm-hmm. And in, in verse 21, he talks some about shame, about what fruit did you have from those things of which you're now ashamed? And he says, now that you have been baptized and received by Christ, when you think about the things you used to do, you're still ashamed. You know, even though you're freed from the penalty and freed from death, you're still ashamed to think about those things. And so how much more should you be fearful of the shame that would come from actually doing them again? Mm. So it's really, I think, the same argument throughout, which is don't be listless. Leave a, 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 live a life worthy of your um, baptism. Don't return to sin. And, um, you know, and maybe, Father Daniel, what you're saying about Chrysostom's rhetoric, perhaps the way to take this is not that he really means, well, we should all think it's easy to be perfect now so much as we should not grow lazy and uncaring. We should continue to fight the battle as long as we live. Yeah, he's like the coach on the sideline. Or if you had bad experiences of coaches on the sideline in your youth. <laughs> I was almost say your parent, but you might have had bad experiences with your parents on the sideline when you're a sport in your youth. But somebody encouraging you from the sideline, don't give up. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah. That, that's one of the great things uh, the fathers in general, at the especially the first, like in the third through sixth, seventh century, and the, the later fathers pick it up too, but it's very much oriented to transformation in the hearer. So Chrysostom and Gregory Nyssa, Gregory Theologian, they, they are doing things in words and images and things in order to create transformation in the, the hearer so that they learn, learn, want to love more, want to, to fight the battle that they need to. I think we're just so used to reading Paul and such as we started off in such a dead way or textbook systematic way. But Paul is very much closer to the, the way they're talking than I think we're used to. We're just we're more used to reading Paul and bringing our those kind of questions to him that we have for much later debates. He, he this, is, this is kind of a, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say he reads very differently as a pastor than as a theologian, if you will. Yep. Go ahead, David. I was going to say this is all this. This, this is beginning to strike me as an argument against being a Pharisee. There's an exhortation to not be a Pharisee, to not simply be content with the fact that you are saved, to do more than that. Anybody, does that make any sense? Anybody else see what I'm talking about? You mean actually be alive instead of just not doing things? Yeah. Yeah. It's a very, uh, it, it, he's, it, he's exhorting people to be very living and to be very active. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. a living a living active faith mm-hmm. not, not 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 simply you know not simply following the rules okay but uh, uh but 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 doing but doing more than that yeah i mean not simply saying huh i've been baptized i'm in <laughs> exactly Or I have Abraham or Moses as my father. Right. Therefore, I'm in. Yeah, right. right. Exactly. Well, and I guess that would kind of fit the structure, you know, thinking about it in, in terms of the whole of, you know, five and six. So he started with don't, don't, uh, don't backslide. Don't go do the things that you were doing. Don't stand still. Don't stop. But, you know, keep pushing, keep keep trying for that thing. Because mm-hmm. if you have to have the faith that's supposed to triumph in all of that, that's the only way you're going to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. You know, that's a... If only it was so easy, right? On... <laughs> <laughs> Onward, Christian soldiers marching as to war. Well, but maybe, maybe, maybe that, yeah, that exhortation is specifically, you know, because if you were a slave to, if you were a slave to your flesh, it was that was just what came naturally to you was to do these things. So to be a slave to righteousness, it's just naturally do the things of righteousness. That's that's the goal. I guess if we were Aristotle here, he'd talk about habituation. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, I, I don't. But, but Chris yeah. Stone would not have a problem with that. Slaves, slaves are in service. I think. I guess that's what I'm thinking of. Is that we're called to be in service to righteousness, not simply active, not not just recipients of righteousness, but servants of righteousness, serve righteousness. As a slave serves righteousness. Yeah, and Chrysostom takes that verse and talks about, you know, the fruit of holiness and essentially saying, you know, we have this hope of eternal life that we don't see yet, but we see all of these benefits we gain now, holiness being perhaps primary among them. And those give us great confidence in having received those gifts already. They give us confidence in uh the, the gifts yet to come. By the way, I, I think it's an interesting point too, back in verse 14, where he talks about, for sin not, shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. And I mean, as an evangelical, I kind of thought, okay, we live under grace, not under law. But Chrysostom specifically takes it that this comparison between law in, and grace is not about the whole life of the believer, but is a comparison between law and baptism. Uh, and he, he quotes, uh, you know, the, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And so he says, law convicts of transgression, but grace undoes transgression. <laughs> law, by convicting establishes sin whereas grace by forgiving doesn't allow us to be under it and so 
the way he's reading this, it uh, it's not that this is sort of all of our life is lived under grace like the Jews were <coughs> under law. It's rather we weren't given the law. We were baptized. And, you know, baptism doubly sets us free the from the dominion of sin, both by our being released from the law and by being under grace. But it's interesting then that he doesn't see law and grace set up as these sort of, you know, masters that one or the other we would be under all of our lives. Anyway, it's 839, so we should probably think about wrapping up. Go ahead and stop the sharing. Oh, don't stop sharing, Reed. <laughs> I just, I'm just full of dad jokes these days. <laughs> There's a few, if anyone would like a few uh, academic articles on Chrysostom's um, homiletics and hermeneutics, etc., email me and I can send you to a website. I think I've shared it here before, but there's a lot of good stuff from a scholar on Chrysostom reading. Um, oh, there's Susan. Uh, just if you, if you can hear us, Susan, next week, uh, come an hour earlier because we're Eastern Standard Time. And thank you for joining us. It's good to have you with us. Yes. But if anyone would like any of those, just let me know and I can send you the link. Or you know what? There's a link if you want to look it up. Putting them in the chat. <laughs> yep. It's Wendy Mayer. She's uh, out in Australia. So. Very good. Thank you. All right, does anyone else have any other comments or anything? Yes, we are, Susan. I'm going to...